Today's episode brought to you by Fan Exchange. Hey, listen, are you thinking about buying tickets maybe to your favorite sporting event or a concert or a theater event as well? Maybe you want to experience a basketball game courtside rather than sitting right there on your couch. Or maybe you want to head to an NHL game before the end of the regular season or maybe even for the postseason and be up front banging on the glass. Then head on over to FanExchange.com for a safe, easy and reliable experience tickets purchased on fan exchange are always guaranteed there's no getting to the gate and then worrying about how you're going to get in so whether it's the nba mlb wrestling coachella or a broadway musical fan exchange will get you closer to the action find the very best seats at the best prices at fanexchange.com you want to use the promo code rome that's the promo code rome and then get 50 percent off the service fees on your next purchase fan exchange we have tickets fan exchange live from southern california this is the jim rome show a little unusual to do this yet again. In fact, when you consider the Patriots being one of the more functional teams in the NFL, it's hard to imagine that I'm going to start another show with another take about how dysfunctional they are. April 10th, five months from today, Monday Night Football is going to take place and we'll be wrapping up week one of the NFL season. So when you think of it in those terms, it doesn't seem that long, but When you think of it in the Patriots storyline terms, that's a long, long time. A very long time. Because seemingly every single week, there is some new story about their dysfunction. Malcolm Butler not playing in the Super Bowl. Josh McDaniels becoming the Colts head coach. Gronk retiring. Josh McDaniels not becoming the Colts head coach. Tom Brady's contract. Gronk is being traded. Butler is leaving in free agency. So is Nate Solder, Deion Lewis, and Danny Amendola. Brandon Cooks traded. All of these things going down and all of these things happening in the last two months. That organization, the one with the least amount of drama ever, has turned into the real football players of New England. And there's more. Here is the very latest. The Boston Herald reports over the weekend that back in training camp, Bill Belichick, quote, chastised Gronk in front of the players for being a TB12 client, according to a source, end quote. That was then backed up by Tom Curran. Curran's all over the Patriots. He tweeted, quote, source told me that during camp when Gronk was performing poorly, he was called out in front of the team for being ineffective. Change in regimen was derisively referred to as the reason this was a big part of Gronk's irritation that lasted all year. And tweet. And of course it was. Between the reports that Brady and Gronk's trainer Alex Guerrero had been banned from the sideline and the team playing and that ESPN report that centered around Brady's relationship with Guerrero and the TB12 method... And then you've got rumors that Gronk is irritated. He's thinking about retirement. And now you have this. You know, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm overreacting. But I'm starting to get the sense that Bill Belichick is not all that cool with Alex Guerrero. In fact, I'm starting to get the sense he hates Guerrero. And that a lot of the issues that they have in New England point back to the relationship between Guerrero and the Patriots players. And personally, I'm not really sure why that is. I understand the Patriots have a training staff that Belichick likes. 
or he wouldn't have them there in the first place. I understand that Belichick is probably old school in his approach to strength and conditioning, and that he doesn't want his guys bolting that staff for somebody who's advocating something a little bit different, something that you know Belichick thinks is pretty wacky. But, but, the dude with the wacky techniques is training your 40-year-old quarterback who just won the MVP. And considering that Gronk came back from back surgery and had a 1,000-yard season and says he hasn't felt this good in a long time, maybe the guy that Belichick thinks is a quack has found a way to keep Gronk on the field as well, something that's never easy. I mean, granted, Guerrero, his methods seem a little bit odd. Dude does have a sketchy background. But maybe drinking all that water... Avoiding nightshades, focusing on flexibility, and getting all those rubdowns might actually be working. I mean, sure, Gronk didn't have the best camp ever, and he knew it, but that may have had something to do with the fact that he was coming back from back surgery and not who was rubbing all that lotion on him or why. I'll tell you what, maybe it's not even about Guerrero's methods. Maybe it's not about his methods not working because they obviously do. His two best players swear by him. Maybe this is more about the hood resenting that he's getting his authority jacked, that his players aren't listening to him or doing what he's telling them to do. Two high-profile guys pushing for different rules and different methods is not exactly the Patriot way, especially if they're recruiting other teammates to that cult. Method. After all, I mean, I'm not sure why Belichick has an issue when availability is the best ability and his best players were able to stay on the field last year and in large part, they credit Guerrero. But this sort of dysfunction and airing it out in the media every single week isn't helping anyone. In fact, that's the most unpatriot thing ever. Belichick is fighting a losing battle here, something he's not accustomed to in Foxborough. Because every single week, there's a new story, and most of them are fill-in-the-blank stories. Belichick is angry at insert player for insert reason. And frequently, insert reason is about stretching and mobility and lotion from Alex Guerrero. What I'm saying is this. The point is this. Brady and Gronk like what they're getting from this guy, and it's hard to argue with the results. So why doesn't Belichick just let it go? Because it's a pretty strange hill to fight on, much less die on. It'd be one thing if these methods were ruining your stars, but they're making them feel pretty good, and they're playing pretty well. So why are you aggravating your Hall of Fame players when they're doing everything they can to get ready for the upcoming season and to stay on the field? Again, I know that easing off and allowing this to happen goes against every fiber in the hood's being, but you tell me what's more important here, keeping the Hall of Fame quarterback and tight end happy or it being your way or the highway. Yeah, I know you've run guys off before, but do you really want to run off your best remaining guys and kill what's left of that dynasty? Is it worth risking the dynasty with a fight over a trainer? I'd say no, but Belichick... Maybe he thinks it is. Hey, Hood, I know you don't want my advice, but you might even need it here. Stand down. Stand down, Hood. In fact, why not just lighten up and let Guerrero rub some of that magic lotion on you? Feed you some of that magic avocado ice cream. If it works for TB12, it ought to be good enough for HC1. Stedman Bailey is my guest. 
Stedman, good morning. It's great to have you on the show. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me. It's I'm really good. Good, time. good, Stedman. Great to have you. Good to hear your voice. Now, you participated in Marshall University's Pro Day last month. Given all the work that you've done and everything you've been through, how good did it feel to be participating in a Pro Day and showing NFL teams what you can do? Well, I actually got a chance to participate in two Pro Days. Marshall was the first one, and then I got a chance to do West Virginia, my alma mater as well. And um, it actually felt really good, man, just to – um, get a chance to show, you know, all the work that I've been putting in to get back to this point um, in front of, you know, NFL scouts. And I did extremely well at uh, both pro days. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that every team should, you know, be able to look at me and say, wow, you know, he still has it. Yeah, so when you look at the numbers, you ran a 4-3-40 at one of those pro days. Your hands look good, if not better than ever. So how pleased were you with your performance and how did it feel to be back out there? I was very pleased with my performance, man, just, you know, considering um, what I've been through over these past two years. But um, I I did extremely well. Um, I'm running faster than I was before the tragic incident. And, you know, that's, uh, I mean, that says a lot itself. But, um, I mean, it it felt great, man. I'm, I'm a football player. I still have so much love for the game. And, you know, just to have another opportunity to be able to showcase what I bring to the table meant a lot to me. So let me take a moment and talk to you about your Tuesday grind. It's kind of curious to me. We all have different gigs. We all go at it different ways. We all work in different environments. Like me, I'm inside a studio. It's pretty easy. I can't lie. You, on the other hand, might be working on a hot, dusty job site or maybe in a loud, wet kitchen. And you know how hard it can be to communicate clearly when you've got to let those alongside of you know exactly what's going on. But now, with new Post-It Extreme Notes, you can get your message across and get the job done in any condition, any weather condition, including rain, heat, and humidity. New Post-It Extreme Notes are water-resistant. They're also made with Dura-Hold paper and adhesive, so they stick to just about anything at all. I mean, anything. Concrete, drywall, raw wood, even brick. So what I'm saying to you is, no matter what the task is, whatever the job site is, you can get your message across with new Post-It Extreme Notes. Get them wherever you get your Post-It Notes. Once again, Post-It Extreme Notes. These things are amazing and stick to just about anything at all. Stedman Bailey joining us. You know, you mentioned the tragic incident. Stedman, I understand that this is a really, really difficult conversation to have. So respectfully, I think to fully appreciate what it means for you even to be on the field again, to be in position to play in the NFL again, we really need to go back to November 24th, 2015. You went out to dinner with your cousin, your cousin's children, and a friend. The plan was that you were going to drive up from Miami Gardens to Atlanta for Thanksgiving the next day. What was the plan for that night? Uh, well, that night in particular, um, just a, just an easy night. Wanted uh, to you know, grab some dinner with a cousin of mine, his kids, and one of my best friends. Um, you know, just a regular, regular day in the life of Stedman Bailey. You know, nothing out of the ordinary until the incident occurred when, you know, a, a car pulled up and sprayed a barrage of bullets, and I was hit twice by, like, uh, almost 30 shots, 30 shots were fired or so. Do you remember what happened after that? Uh, yes, I do. I remember everything, man. Um, as crazy as it sounds, you know, you would think about the injuries or, of being shot twice and think, you know, yeah, 
he should be dead. He will probably think the same about, you know, my cousin who suffered 11 uh, gunshot wounds. But um, by the grace of God, we were both coherent, you know, throughout the whole time. Um, my cousin Antoine was able to take control of everything that was going on with um, pretty much leading my friend Terrence to drive us to the, the nearest hospital. He was able to talk to his kids, you know, to keep them calm and as much as he could. I mean, they were really in panic mode, but um, we both, you know, knew at the time, you know, we had just suffered something very horrific, but at the same time, you know, we were still able to look around and, like I say, be coherent and, you know, make our way to the hospital without um, dying, I guess. Stedman Bailey, my guest. Stedman, what's amazing is the whole thing is absolutely unbelievable to me. It's unfathomable. But the fact is, one bullet struck you near the right temple. It went through your head. It exited above your eyebrow. There was bone. There was blood. There was cartilage all over. Stedman, your cousin said, quote, listen, I saw a hole in his head. I could look through his head. It was like something that wasn't real. It was like Hollywood. I mean, I, I want to be as respectful as I can. You should be dead right now. A centimeter in any different direction. You and I are not having this conversation. How do you explain you surviving something like that? Um, well, I'm a big believer in God. And, you know, for me to go through something like that and, for one, you know, not even feel any pain, um, it, it just, you know, truly lets me know that, um, he had to be, you know, somewhere there with me and my cousin that night. Um, I don't really know no other way to explain it. You know, I, I know that I myself, you know, I take great care of my body. And I'm sure my body has been through many different forms of trauma with the kind of working out I do. So I remember the doctors telling me that um, that was a, a big part of me, you know, being able to survive everything, you know. My body was going through trauma, but it felt that before. So it, it was able to respond in a way where I was still functioning very well. Stem and Bailey, my guess, that's the thing. I mean, because you had because you had worked so hard to get to that point, it must have helped you in that situation. But one doctor did describe what happened to your skull. He said it would be like if you dropped an egg on the sidewalk. That doctor said you might not walk again. You might have trouble speaking again. When you first heard things like that from the doctor, what was your reaction? Uh, very tough. Very tough to hear. Here I am, um, 25 years old, and... You know, sometimes life just really throws some crazy things at you. And I've been through tons of adversity throughout my whole life. So um, I didn't really let it get to me. Um, you know, I heard the reports and the way my brain was functioning, I just told myself, like, that just can't be true. You know, um, devastating news, of course, you know, for them to say, oh, you may not be able to talk, you may not be able to walk. I'm 25 years old. Well, at the time, I was 25, so that would be mm, pretty hard to deal with if that was the case. But I just, you know, I'm a person that um, I don't really take negativity and, you know, just put that in the forefront of my mind. You know, I try to live a positive life and, you know, tell myself that I can do what people think I can't. And those were... Just the very first two obstacles that I knew I would get past, which was talking first and then 
walking, you know, um, it's just as simple as right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. And that's all I thought about when the doctor said that, like, you can't walk. I'm telling myself in my mind, it's easy, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. But, um, you know, I understand the doctors in most cases know exactly what they're talking about. They're experts at what they do. But at the same time, you know, I just, like, nah, that's that's not going to be the case with me, you know. And I set, set that out in my mind to prove those people wrong. And the doctors have yet to be right about the report of what should have happened. Stedman Bailey, my guest, they said you, you may not walk again. You went from not walking to jogging to running, and then five months after the incident, you were back on the field running routes, but you didn't stop there. You've been working out like crazy to continue to get into shape, to work your way back into an NFL team. Why was it so important to you to play football again? Uh, we're just, just realizing, um, you know, as far as when I think about what all it has taken for me to even make it to the NFL, a um, lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, um, a lot of long days of training and, um, you know, extremely blessed and, and talented to play. So um, just the, the few signs of me being able to walk within like uh, a week or two and then jogging before I actually exit the hospital, those were little signs to me to say, you know what, Seth, you, pro- you probably can, can really do the unthinkable, you know, the doctor said you wasn't going to be able to talk. That wasn't true. They said you wouldn't be able to walk. That wasn't true. So why not keep going? And as far as the big picture, I said to myself, uh, everything in life is a process. So I knew it would be a, a, quite a while for me to get back to the physical shape that I was in prior to the incident. But mm, I didn't let that get me down or anything i just say you know i take it one day at a time just like i've been living my life and you know just 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 continue to press forward and like i say those little signs just let me know that you know i I feel like i really have a defined purpose on earth and that's to play ball again stedman bailey joining me for a few more moments so when you get that opportunity to play ball again have you thought about what you might say to your teammates before a game what a message to them might sound like um, not necessarily. Um, I feel like, you know, with, with any team that I would have the opportunity to join, um, everybody knows my story and I'm sure it's inspiring to millions of people. And that's another goal of mine, you know, not just to get back on the field, but, you know, to inspire many people because I understand that life is tough and many different circumstances for everybody. But I mean, that doesn't determine what you as a person can do, you know, adversity is going to, is going to knock on everybody's door. And I feel that, you know, you can really show your character by how you respond to it. And, you know, I've been determined to just show the world that, uh, that there's nothing that can stop me. Final thought then. I mean, you're right. That league, everybody in that league knows your story, knows what happened to you. So what kind of a player in person would an NFL team be getting if they bring in Stedman Bailey? Uh, well, they'll be getting a guy that presents a lot of positive energy. Um, I have a very vibrant spirit that, uh, you know, I just like to be positive um, with, with everything that I'm doing, whether it's 
lifting a teammate up, um, you know, trying to help them with personal issues that they may, may be going through in their, their personal life. But um, I, I believe, you know, I bring wisdom, um, life experience, um, a committed effort to, you know, be the best version of myself on the football field. And I'm just an all-around team player. Um, you know, even if it was something like playing special teams or being a reserve receiver, I would, you know, be the best that I could be, which a reserve, I don't really see that being the case. I know what I bring to the table, so I, you know I say that with confidence that whatever team was to sign me, I'll be knocking on the door of the starter, and I'm back. But after Green Bay Packers wide receiver Trevor Davis was arrested at LAX for doing just that, it seems like it doesn't go without saying. Somebody didn't know. The one thing that everybody knows apparently was lost on this guy. According to the Associated Press, Davis and the woman that he was traveling with were checking in for a Hawaiian Airlines flight. Airport police spokesman Rob Pedragon said that an airline employee asked Davis whether he had any explosives in his bag, to which he responded, and I quote, yes. Let me stop you right there. That's your first mistake, and it's a terrible, terrible mistake. A truly idiotic error in judgment. And one that's not even remotely amusing. Oh, you've got explosives. Hilarious. Stop. My ribs. But he didn't. (laughs) There was more. It does not end there. He took dumb up to another level because according to Pedragon, after cracking the original joke, Davis, in fact, even had a chaser. He allegedly turned to the woman that he was traveling with and said, and let me pause here for a moment to allow you to guess what he said. Because whatever you guess, whatever you do, don't come up with a guess that's funny or clever because his is neither. According to Pedragon, Davis turned to this woman who he was traveling with and said, quote, did you pack the explosives? What the hell? Seriously. I mean, that's not smart. In fact, that's really, really dumb. And as you can imagine, he was promptly arrested and charged with making criminal threats. Because that's how the TSA is. That's how airport police are. That's how they respond to jokes. I mean, seriously, what did this guy think was going to happen? Did he think that if he went with that bomb joke and then chased it with that, did you pack the explosives joke? that all the airport employees would bust out laughing and high-five him. So not only is it the lamest joke ever, it's criminal activity. This guy could have been arrested on charges of stupidity alone, but making that stupid joke is actually making a criminal threat. Have you ever checked in for a flight before? He's a pro athlete. I'm guessing he's been on airplanes. Have you ever checked in for a flight? The routine is pretty basic. We all know it. Have your documents ready. Be polite. Answer the questions you're asked. And then move on. At no point in the process should you be starting your five-minute set. Your five-minute set that you rehearsed with your friends. No point in that process do you start a five-minute set about hijacking and terrorism. 
Not only is it not smart, it's not funny. It's not even like he busted out with some really creative, original zinger and then got the silver bracelets. If that were the case, maybe you'd argue that, well, I had to do it for the comedy. You'd be wrong, 1,000% wrong, and I would never condone it, endorse it, or support it. But getting arrested for a lame, stupid joke about packing explosives is maybe the dumbest thing ever. My man, it is the Los Angeles International Airport. It is not the Chuckle Hut. This is neither the time nor the place to be busting out your comedic routine. Save that for open mic night at the ha-ha hole or the funny bone. Hey, look, you want to make a tired joke, a really tired joke about air travel? Do something about the food they serve on the planes or how they're always losing your luggage. Maybe you go with the classic about how you just flew in from the Midwest and boy, are my arms tired. Not about whether or not you packed your suitcase full of explosives. I mean, I would say that packing explosives is the last joke about an airport, but that would employ that it's something you could actually joke about at the airport. You can't. It's not the last thing you joke about because you can't even make a list of things that you joke about at an airport. Nothing's funny at the airport. <laughs> there are no jokes at the airport. So know your room. And if this guy had, the way we all do, he'd know the TSA and airport police are a terrible audience for your routine. They're not interested in your jokes because they're too busy trying to keep everybody safe and keep all the planes in the air. I'll repeat it again so that hopefully I will never, ever have to say this again. When you're at the airport, you should never joke about bombs, explosives, or weapons. I repeat, do not make a joke about a bomb, an explosive, or a weapon. Thank you. That way, you will not be known for doing the dumbest thing ever. The one thing that literally everybody on the planet knows about except you. And if you were thinking about checking out a movie this weekend to try to make yourself forget about all of this, do not scream fire when you're there. Also not funny. Also a horrible idea. Oh, and so is pulling a fire alarm in a train station. Also not funny. In fact, you know what? Just lay off the jokes for a while. You're not funny, leave the funny to the people who are, and that way you stay out of jail and you stay off this show. A dude made a bomb joke at an airport in 2018. That's a real thing. Wildcats head coach, Kevin Sumlin. Kevin, good to have you back. How are you? Great. How you been? Good, man. Good. How you been? I've been all right. Been good. Been here in the sunshine and in the desert and... Uh, not a cloud in the sky, so not, we're doing great. That's good. All right, so bring me up today. Spring practice is underway. Saturday is your spring game. What has spring practice been like so far, and what are you looking to see from your guys on Saturday? Well, you know, it's been uh, getting to know each other. Um, you know, it's really the most time you get to spend with, with guys, and, and with the 20-hour rule now, we, we've been able to to really uh, – get to know our players but also get let them get to know us and, and building trust is a big deal because i just believe that uh the sooner that you can build that trust the sooner growth happens and and uh i've been pleased with our, our progress this spring you know it's something when you talk about trust when you showed up and you were at your press room, there were a bunch of former arizona players that showed up also i want to get into that in a minute but in terms of trust some of the former players said they loved it when you said quote real growth happens when people trust you to tell them something they don't want to hear end quote lay that out for me what do you mean by that 
Well, I think, uh, you know, many times as a coach, uh, and, and, and there's two two uh, two way street there. You know, you, you, when, when you want to really uh, help somebody and uh, or even help yourself, you need to be honest and, and look at not only the things that you're doing well, but also, you know, your shortcomings and, and not glaze those over. And, and it's not about, uh, you know, how you say it it's what you say and 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 the the way to do that is is for people to be able to trust you and 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 you're going to cover the the good and bad things and hopefully you know as as these guys have gotten to know me and gotten to know our staff uh we we just tell you like it is and and uh and and when you can be honest with yourself i think uh it, your shortcomings and, and, and realize that, hey, you're not perfect, but we're here to help you in those areas, both good and bad. And, and uh, I think our guys, we're, we're still in that process. You know, it's only been a, a few months, but uh, as I said, I'm pleased with our growth at this point because I think, uh, you know, it, when you get on the field and, and you really, really start to talk about, hey, here's what we want, but here's how we can help you. Um, I think guys really appreciate that. Kevin Sumlin, the head football coach of the University of Arizona. I think that's universal. Kevin, I've done this a long, long time. I don't ever remember a time where an athlete didn't say, hey, listen, nobody wants bad news, but shoot me straight. Just look me in the eye and tell me what it is and be honest, and I can handle that. It's always been that way. Now, when you when your time at Texas a and came to an end, you had a lot of different options in front of you, both in terms of coaching, maybe taking a year off and doing some TV. Doing TV can be a pretty nice gig after the grind of coaching every single day but you wanted to jump right back into it. Why was that? Why was that so important? Well, I, I, I'll just say this. I really didn't want to jump right back into it. Okay. You know, it took some time to myself. Uh, you know, it was, uh, there were a lot of different situations, a lot of things that happened at, at A&M. Uh, and, and really stepped back and, and tried to take a deep breath. And, you know, when you do this as long as, as I have, you know, at first that's a great deal. And I got a lot of advice from different coaches, uh, different different. Uh, announcers, different different guys that were working TV about what to do, and uh, and and really just sat back and, and took a deep breath, and then you know as I said, you do this as long as I as I've done it, you know I really started to get a little bit bored. But this uh, this opportunity came late, um, as, as you said, it was January 14th when I got hired here, which which gave me some time uh, to really sit back and look at you know where I was, what I wanted to do. And I think it's all about timing. And I had been to Tucson, actually been out here to visit uh, and, and exchange ideas with, with a couple coaches and, and, and Coach Rodriguez. And so I knew the place and, and was very impressed when I, I came out. And so it wasn't like a, a, a situation I didn't know anything about. And, and as I said, it was the right time and the right, right place for me. And, and as late as it was, for some people, that wouldn't have been a good situation. But for me, it was... It was after I had really taken that deep breath and, and knew a little bit about the place. And, and quite frankly, the leadership here and uh, President Robbins and Dave Hickey had a vision and uh, and were excited about the vision and, and uh, got me excited about it. And so I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm in the Pac-12. And as I said, it's it's a beautiful place. And and um, and. Uh, we, we, we're getting this thing rolling. Arizona head football coach Kevin Sumlin, my guest. Now, you don't take a coaching job because of the talent that's necessarily on the roster at that moment, but at the same time, when you look at what Khalil Tate has done at quarterback and all the potential that's there, how excited do you get? How good can he be? Well, obviously, when you you know, you know start at that position, um, he, he's a, a dynamic player, and 
you know, I think the thing that we, we – that we got to keep in mind is he's only played seven games. So, you know, it's, it's every day is a learning experience for him, uh, particularly with a new staff, new terminology, uh, not a huge departure from, from what he did last year offensively, which I think that gave him some, it gave him a comfort factor, but, uh, you know, he, he's got tools and, uh, he, he's, uh, in the process, as I said, uh, earlier today, we're talking about, you know, moving him from a, um, uh, an athlete that's a quarterback uh, to a quarterback that's an athlete, if that makes sense. So, sure. you know, his understanding of, of coverages, his understanding of situational football, his understanding of of, of leadership are things that uh, are still a, a work in progress because he hasn't played that much football, but he has been dynamic when he has played. And so that gets you excited as a coach. We're talking to Kevin Sumlin. Kevin, you've had some really good quarterbacks, of course. Johnny Manziel has been attempting a comeback in an effort to return to the NFL. He's talked about some of the challenges that he's faced, many of which he created for himself. What kind of thoughts do you have when you see him attempting the comeback that he is? Well, I've had conversations. Really, the first day that I got the job here, he called. And, you know, we've talked on and off over the years. And, and, uh, you know, it's just coming back after after being off that time is, is different. Uh, I think he's working really, really hard in my conversations with him uh, and really training hard. I think uh, as, as he's openly talked about, you know, with with uh, uh, the people in his life that he's surrounded with now and his wife, he's he's uh, comfortable with himself now and, and really, you know, worked hard at change. And uh, that's difficult, but uh, he's faced that. I think he's openly talked about it and and, and uh, he really wants to play. And uh, he's he's had discussions with a lot of different people, um, uh, whether it was in, in in different leagues to play. And uh, I think he's his mindset right now is that um, is, is in a he's in a very very different place than he was maybe you know even two years ago. Now people frequently think of you and Manziel. He obviously is not your only former quarterback in the NFL. And after everything he's been through and how hard he's worked, not just to make it in the NFL, but to establish himself as an NFL quarterback, how proud were you of the year that Case Keenum had for the Vikings? Yeah, how about that, huh? There's a guy has been cut from every team he's ever been on. He didn't get drafted, the all-time leading passer in college football history, um, and bounced around. Uh, one, one team actually called him. He was in a deer stand on, on Sunday, and he started the next Sunday. So. Right. Um, just a just a great story, uh, and, and a guy who is a a, uh, a relentless worker, a guy who's positive all the time, in spite of all those things. And it's you know you know how it is, Jim. It's great to see good things happen to good people. And I don't know that there's a better person out there than Case Keenum. Kevin, what about that point you just made? I mean, a relentless worker, sure, but I love that line about how this guy's positive no matter what, no matter what happens to this guy. This guy's positive. Is he just wired for that, or can you consciously make a decision? That's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be positive no matter what happens in my life. Yeah, I think he's, you know, he's wired that way. You know, he's this guy's, like I said, not only he's cut from every team he's on, he's been cut twice by the same team. You know, you go through the thing on Hard Knocks where people get a little insight into him, and and he's gone from there. And you know, to bounce around and and get a one year contract. I remember talking to him last summer and said, "Hey, I got a one year deal." and I'm going to Minnesota to make the best of it. And, and you look up and, you know, you're a game away from going to the Super Bowl. So, 
you know, anything can happen. It usually doesn't. But uh, but to positive people and guys like that to keep working um, and surround themselves with 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 uh, other positive people in in you know his his dad was was a coach and and around him Kimberly's wife they're just great people no matter what happens and uh he's been through a lot but uh, obviously that's paid off and and he's never changed it's, it's never up he's never down and you know that's hard to do but that's that's uh, a mature guy and and a guy that uh, uh really you know over over the course of time could have gone the other way but instead uh um he, he's really done some great things, had a great year, and, and has got a new challenge ahead of him this year. Kevin Sumlin, my guest. Kevin, one last thought about Arizona before I cut you loose. You know they've never been to a Rose Bowl, but when you were hired, you said it's going to happen. What have you seen in the program and in the structure around it that makes you feel that way? Well, I, it started, as, as I said, Jim, with, with the administration and, and you know visiting with them before I was hired. Uh, President Robbins and Dave Hickey had a, had a clear vision of the future, um, and, you know, with anything, it starts at the top. You know, do you care? How much do you care? Uh, you know, we, we're breaking ground on a new indoor facility here on Monday, and we would have done it earlier, but we're practicing out there. So um, just things like that. Hey, listen, we're here to support you. We're going to give you uh, the, the, the finances and, and the support that you need to be successful. And, you know, you don't do that unless you're serious about, you know, winning, and, and that's the bottom line. You know, you, you, what do you want to do? Do you want to just play play a little football, or you want to win championships? And so, um, I like their approach. Uh, and I, I, as I said, it, it starts at the top, and, and we got as good administration as I've ever been around. And and we'll look. And, and basically, the question was, hey, listen, you know, you know, we've never been to the Rose Bowl, and and I said it's going to happen. You know, but so why not us? Why not? Why not now? So. You know, we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, we recognize that, but uh, we got some things in place here and, and, a, and a beautiful campus and and uh, a lot of quality support, so that gives us a real chance. The spring game is Saturday, and Arizona's opening up against BYU on September 1st. Their head coach, Kevin Sumlin, my guest. Kevin, great to get caught up. Really nice to have you on the show. Appreciate that so much, Kevin. Thanks so much. All right, appreciate you having me, Jim. Meanwhile, the Masters is now over. Patrick Reed is your 2018 champion. But there was one other storyline that needs to be addressed. And that is the matter of Tony Finau, the biggest badass on tour. Now, you'll recall that he dislocated his ankle while celebrating a hole-in-one in the Par 3 Challenge on Wednesday prior to the tourney. It was nasty. It was revolting. One of the worst things I've ever seen on a golf course. No exaggeration. One of the worst things I have ever seen on a golf course. Me? That happens to me, and I'm pretty much going to pass out from the pain, from the embarrassment. I'm looking for a place to nap it out, call it a day, and probably not get back up. I mean, at that point, just go ahead. Put me in the bunker. Put me in the ground. I'm not bouncing back. And we haven't even talked about the worst part. But I'm not sure what was worse. The agony of the injury, a dislocation of your ankle, or... The agony of busting up that ankle in front of the entire world. But all Finau did was pop that thing right back in and keep on rolling. And by rolling, I mean going out on Thursday, firing a 4-under at Augusta National, and being the first-round leader for a chunk of that day in his first-ever Masters appearance. 
And then after rounds of 74 and 73, he comes back on Sunday with an unreal 66, which included six birds on the back nine. Six straight birdies on the back nine of Augusta National on a Sunday. It's insane. But to do it on a dislocated ankle is even more ridiculous. But as always, whenever you see something that seems too good to be true, it generally is, and the radar goes off. I mean, there's no way that ankle was that bad. It couldn't have been. It couldn't have been that bad if that guy was going that low on Sunday at the Masters. It couldn't have been that bad if he was birdieing 12 through 17 on Masters Sunday. I mean, you've got to have everything working right from your head to your feet. So the video and the story and the fact that he snapped that thing back into place, it really wasn't that bad. It obviously couldn't have been that bad if he shot 66 on Sunday. But now that it's all over, and now that we have picks, and if you're watching on CBS Sports Network and eating, I would suggest maybe you put that food down for a minute. Consider this a new diet for you because I'm about to show you some picks that will make you not only want to skip lunch, but maybe dinner and maybe breakfast tomorrow as well. All right? So this on television is graphic in nature. You have been warned. Here it is. Take a look at this guy's ankle. I mean, it's disgusting. Truly and genuinely disgusting. Hideous. Disfigured. I mean, forget golfing. How'd that guy even manage to stand up on that ankle? It looks like the before and after pick of an amputation. It's disgusting. I got to say, I'm getting a little bit uneasy, kind of queasy, just looking at the pick. It's shocking. I mean, this guy did that to his ankle. And then he finished in the top 10 in the Masters. This dude truly is an Iron Man. And the best part is, Finau is glossing it a cankle. He's laughing about it. Hilarious. It looks like he nearly lost his leg below the knee And this guy's laughing about it. And then he tweeted out a summary of it this week. Here's his summary of the week. What a week. Top 10 in my Masters debut. It was an eventful week. Hole in one, check. Failed celebration, check. Adversity, check. Two rounds in the 60s, check. 2019 Masters invite, check. I believe we find out most about who we are through adversity. Thanks for all the well wishes all week. I'll tell you what. If we find out who we are through adversity, then this guy is officially the toughest and most impressive dude on tour because that was some serious adversity. And in his first trip to the Masters, he had two rounds in the 60s, six straight birdies on the back nine on Sunday, and a top tenner. And he did it all on an ankle that would have kept most athletes in any other sport out for weeks fact that's a fact that injury would have kept most athletes in any other sport out for weeks and this guy was back out there the very next day man's game t man's game man's game t man's game bitch man's game t man's game that was so strong i I knew that was good i thought that was good and, and maybe for one second, I was skeptical when I saw him go as low as he did and finish with a top 10 in his first Masters until I saw the picks. Looks like dude had his ankle lopped off. 
before and after amputation. Good night now! We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chicken intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time.